Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Hal Medici. Uh, we're at his home in Newburgh. It's April 16th, 2019. Thanks for joining us today, Hal. We appreciate it. Um, let's start by asking you, why grapes? What made you get into wine grapes? Well, first of all, that's uh, really a very interesting great, uh, question. But before I answer, I will answer that question with uh, starting from a different point. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay, I, I was a, a teacher at the uh, community college level for 30 years, and my, my uh, discipline was mathematics. I was at the University of Kansas in 1960 trying to uh, continue my uh, degree program, working towards a PhD. And I, I was married, and I had four children, and I had the most patient wife one could ever expect. And uh, I was, I had a scholarship to continue at the university, and my wife said, Hal, get with it. We've got four kids, we should go back to our normal lifestyle. So I got the message loud and clear, and we came back to Oregon. And this is in 1960, and at that time I was 30 years old. I was really a very old student. And both my wife and I at that time decided that we'd like to live in the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we found this property right here that we own right now, and we bought it in 1965. And at that time, it was 40 acres with 20 acres of filberts on it. And we were still living in Portland. And I was communicating back and forth on weekends and so on and so forth, you know, trying to be an amateur uh, farmer, which we did quite well. And later on, I t my wife and I decided that why don't we try to f buy a piece of property that had a home on it mm -hmm. out in the country. The motivation was to have a place for, the, for our children to live in the country rather than in the city, in city uh, space. Mm -hmm. So we came out here to Newburgh, and I came out to Newburgh, and we found a piece of property that both of us wanted, that we wanted, and it was 200 acres, and those 200 acres had approximately 80 acres of fruit on it 
there were uh, Bartlett pears, Royal Aunt Cherries, and Italian plums. And we bought that farm and we moved there in 1969 and we lived there. And my wife and I, I worked in Portland and my wife worked in Portland. She worked at the, uh, she was a medical secretary at the Providence uh, mm -hmm. uh, Hospital. And she says, Hal, why don't we move to the other farm? We both, at that stage of the game, we owned both farms, mm -hmm. this farm and the other farm. And she says, because it's so far to, to drive from the other farm. The other farm was closer to Carleton, mm -hmm. and it's the farm that was purchased by Laurel Ridge. <laughs> Laurel Ridge, uh, they, they finally ended up with the, uh, uh, with that property. But anyway, uh, so w we moved back to our first farm, which was the Filbert farm, and we built our home here, and we built wineries, and uh, I consider myself to be a uh, an amateur uh, architect, and so everything, I did everything. I des designed all the buildings, and I did all the architecture, and I even did all the engineering, and hence all the buildings here are the result of that effort. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, now, the, the beginning question is how did we ever get to wine grapes? Mm -hmm. Dick Ponzi and I taught together. He was in the engineering department, and I was in the math department at PCC. We became very good friends, and he came out to the farm, to our property, and he uh, told my wife, my wife, along with me, that uh, we had, by his, by his standards, we had a very good property to put grapes on. Mm -hmm. The reason being, the elevation was between five and eight hundred feet. It's all a southern exposure and cool nights and etc. and etc. Mm -hmm. And uh, I and so anyway, in in the conversation, uh, uh, I I asked my wife, "What do you think? Do you think it would be a good? Would you like to put great?" She says, we ought to do it because it'll look good. <laughs> a little comedy, right? But that's an actual fact. <laughs> so anyway, that's how it started. We took, all the, we took all the filberts out and we put in grapes. We bought all the plants from uh, Dick Erath. It was all the first, all the first were uh, pomard. Everything was pomard. Mm -hmm. And we put in... Uh, also, uh, Riesling, we bought both Riesling and Pomard from Dick Erath. And our first planting was in 1976. However, prior to that time, the first one acre planting was in 1973. And all those little plants I got from Dick Ponzi, he had, had a bunch of little plants and we bought them 
Uh, we, he didn't give, we didn't buy him, he gave him to us. Mm -hmm. And we planted, that was our first uh, vineyard. <clears throat> and then what happened is after that, we uh, continued to put more and more grapes in. And our present, we have at present, we have 25 acres of, of uh, grapes, approximately 23 acres of uh, Pinot Noir and uh, two or three acres of Riesling. And the elevation of the farm goes anywhere from 550 to 850. Mm -hmm. Okay, along with grapes, the, my wife and I, whose name was Dottie, we were, we loved to travel and we've been to Europe t three or four times. And one year it was, oh, probably in the uh, early 80s, we were in Provence, in, in France, and we were uh, traveling at the time. And we went through the uh, uh, Provence area where they do a lot of lavender. And my wife saw these beautiful lavender fields. And she said to me, Hal, God, we ought to plant some lavender. Well, anyway, I said, okay. When we got back, I said, we'll put in lavender. And so we put in five acres of lavender. And it's up on the hill here. And I said, I'm going to put in the lavender for you, and I'm going to put in a, 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 a building that we saw, a type building that we saw in France that must have been a respite for the workers mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so we, we, we put in five acres of lavender and we put in uh, a, a lavender building and you should really get up there to see it definitely because it's uh, mortise and tendon uh, do you know what mortise and tendon is <laughs> well that goes way back to at least the middle of the 18 1800s where uh, prior to uh, uh, a lot of metal fasteners they used to put put timbers together and then put a a wooden a stake between the timbers that's called mortise and tendon. So anyway, uh, anyway, that's a little side story. Uh, and that little side story, I think, kind of demonstrates where both my wife and I uh, were, were going in terms of our intention. Mm -hmm. Our intention was most, our, our, our major intention is what we both call lifestyle. It wasn't necessarily whether it had to be grapes or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was lifestyle. We wanted to be out in the country. I, I did not consider myself to be what you would call a very involved uh, uh, person in terms of the farm. I hired everything out. I hired all the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, vineyard people to do all their work and and as a matter of fact all of the winery production was always done by others mm -hmm. i do not know how to make wine all i know is that i wanted to be out in the country to enjoy what i have described mm -hmm. sure 
And if I, if I have a contribution at all to the wine industry, which I believe is certainly minimal, it's not maximum, it was, it's been giving the opportunity for several wineries to start their winery. Mm -hmm. There's been at least 15 wineries started in this winery. Some of the big names have been uh, Peter Rosbach and Shanann, mm -hmm. uh, Owen Rowe, uh, uh, uh so I could go on and on and on. There's at least 50, mm -hmm. 15. And if I were to think that I had any contribution at all, it would be certainly that the, uh, I created that which gave the opportunity for others to start. Sure. Now, I love wine. And uh, I love especially a good Pinot Noir. And we have, over the years, made some quite good wines. But that really was not my intention. I.e., the intention was not to make mo money from the farm. The, the, the intention was to have the farm support itself. Mm -hmm. And that supporting the farm supporting itself created the lifestyle that we enjoyed and we enjoyed it for several, several years. Sure. So that's kind of my stick right there. If, do you have any other questions? I do. So when you say that uh, these wineries got their start here, yeah. give me kind of an example. They were using your space to create their early wines? Yes, that's correct. And were they using grapes, your grapes as well? Uh, well, uh, uh, Eric Hamaker, mm -hmm. who is, uh, uh, Dick Ponzi's uh, son, became Dick, Ponzi, Dick Ponzi's son-in-law. Mm -hmm. He he suggested that I should make wine, mm -hmm. and so uh, I got the all the credentials to do that, and we started making wine in 1965. I mean, 1995. And so he made my wines, and then he, and then after he went to his own winery, uh, Peter Rosbach made my wines for 15 years, for 15 years. And, uh, but right now we have six different renters in the winery. And they're small winery, small wineries, mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm not making any wine now, simply because I'm taking a little transition here now. I'm, uh, I'm trying to prepare myself for another, uh, back to square one. Okay. We are, we are trying to develop a foundation, and that is, uh, our uh, next attempt to do what we would like to do. Uh, we had two grandchildren, one who died from one of these child diseases, and the other one who still is alive, but who has uh, uh, been, it's been very difficult. Mm -hmm. And both my wife and I, by the way, my wife passed away about 
six months ago, but I still say both my wife and I, our intention was to start a foundation and uh, we want to connect with uh, uh, St. Jude's Hospital and uh, we would like to start a foundation. Uh, the, the concept, hopefully, would be to have what we call a, uh, what we did call a, uh, I'm trying to think of the name now, a theme bar. Mm -hmm. now, the question is, what does that mean? The theme bar means that, uh, well, first of all, both my wife and I were big into opera and symphony, mm -hmm. classical music. And we, uh, the theme bar means that we would like to have amateur uh, people come in and demonstrate their skills uh, in the sense of singing and even fine arts mm -hmm. and we would like to have one night of uh, political discussion mm -hmm. and the the concept would be to combine combine the wine bar with the usual wine bar with tapas type uh, cuisine mm -hmm. emphasis on a gathering and hopefully learning rather than on either food or wine. Mm -hmm. And it would be non-profit and all the profit would go to the St. Jude Hospital. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is our intention and we're working on it right now and hopefully we'll be able to accomplish that. Sure. It's a noble, a noble cause, a very noble cause. Well. You could call it that. It's the lifestyle that we want to continue. Mm -hmm. And uh, so hopefully that'll happen. And uh, that's, you know, that's where I'm going now. Sure, sure. So. So when you, when you, you're, you're, you meet Dick Ponzi, become friends, Dick comes and sees your property and he says, you should plant grapes right. and you decide to do it. What's your next step? Do you actually, did you actually do the planting yourself? You said you hired uh, Well, Wilson yeah, out. okay, that's a good question. Sure. The answer is that, <laughs> that is a good question. Well, uh, first of all, we bought the plants from, from Erath and uh, we laid, uh, we, we laid out, by the way, this was all done by me and our friends. Mm -hmm. We didn't have at that time any knowledge of, of uh, Hispanics as, a, as an example. Mm -hmm. And Dick Ponzi and his children and students of mine and my wife and my children planted the six acres of Pinot Noir and Riesling. <laughs> we all did together. And that's the way it's, that was the first start. That's awesome. We didn't have a crew. We just had friends and I had these, some of my bigger students were, who were <laughs> capable. And of course we paid them and I give them all A's of course. And, 
<laughs> and uh, that was that's the way that happened. Sure. Right. That was a good question. I appreciate that one. So then, once you once your vines start to mature and you start to have grapes on them, who were some of the early people who bought them from you? Uh, well, let's see. Oh yeah, Ponzi bought some of them, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we sold them to a lot of small uh, vineyards whose names, at, uh, right now I can't remember, but we did three years, obviously after three years you start getting a crop. Mm -hmm. uh, however, that was in 1976, you see. And then I started, we started to use my own grapes in the early 40s mm -hmm. for my own wines, mm -hmm. yeah. And so what made you decide to, uh, you, you said that Eric Homaker talked you into making wine, so yeah. what, what made you decide to actually do it? Well, I just thought it was a good idea. Uh, yeah, that's, see that was never built into my, uh, uh, my uh, intention to do that thing, because mm -hmm. it was just to grow the grapes, uh, or, or just to simply have a farm crop, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's said, why don't you do it? And, I, and so both my wife and I said, well, why don't we do it? There's a little side to this story. Uh, a lot of young people, and to say, I wasn't what you call real young, we were in our 30s, but a lot of young people ha fight a real, uh, or uh, have probably a, a great deal of pressure economically but we didn't mm -hmm. uh, what what we did was uh, in terms of the economy what we did was within our capability without expecting a uh, some kind of revenue from the from either the wine or the grapes mm -hmm. so we had that advantage and young people uh, quite often don't have that advantage and uh, hopefully that doesn't discourage them, let's put it that way. Sure, sure. Did, your, did you feel that your vineyard had a certain characteristic? What, what, how would you describe the grapes coming out of, you, out of your vines? Well, at one time I thought uh, that our grapes had what I called a, uh, the Pinot Noir had a beautiful, to my palate anyway, what I call pencil cedar. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, young people today probably don't know what pencil cedar is, but I did because when I was a young kid, being a Catholic, right, mm -hmm. and being, being in the parochial school, I used to chew on my pencils a lot. <laughs> and I said, I can remember the taste of pencil cedar. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, I bring that up because in parochial school, you know, you have to be uh, right on spot and so forth. But anyway, uh, at, at one time, I, and of course, it could very well have been a combination of the skills that Peter Rosbach had. And the uh, the quality of the Pinot Noir that was coming, and I thought it was unusually had a very uh, it had a very let's say delicate uh, uh, 
flavor, uh, uh, taste to the palate mm -hmm. without it being uh, overbearing. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, that's, that's the subtlety, I think, uh, of, a, of a beautiful wine. It's one that doesn't hit you on the head with a hammer, but uh, has a tendency to blend into the beautiful experiences that you're getting from, from the drink. Mm -hmm. So, that's okay. Did you have an interest in wine before you planted your vineyard? As, as, that's as a very, uh, okay, now that's a very interesting question. My dad, of course, I'm Italian. And my dad was an immigrant, came here when he was 16 years old to the United States. And on and on and on. And uh, he uh, used to make his own wine. Okay? And every year, uh, there's a little bit of history behind this, by the way, that he along with many of his Italian friends, used to buy wines that came from Eastern Oregon. They were, uh, uh, the, the varietals that, were, that typically were made there. Mm -hmm. I think Zinfandel was probably one of them. Mm -hmm. And so they used to jointly, there were four or five of his friends would uh, have a truck not, certainly not a large truck, but a truck of wine, uh, gr grapes that would come from Eastern Oregon. And they would each get their share. And uh, the, uh, uh, my dad made his wine every year, mm -hmm. quantity-wise, I don't know. But he, but he had a press where he had a press at uh, press in the basement of our house and he'd make his own wines and he used to have a little wine cellar mm -hmm. with barrels in it okay and at the time I was a student at the University of Portland that's where I got my bachelor's degree and a very good friend of mine who loved to drink, became, became a very good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And so he knew that we talked about my dad uh, making wine. And so he and I, we used to sneak into my dad's wine cellar. And we'd open the spigot and take our wines and we drank the worst wine you could possibly drink, but we got the glow that we both wanted. And so that's my experience with wine drinking. <laughs> Say with you all. And then you got to drink some really good Oregon Pinot Noirs, and you, and you got to see the good. Yeah, I got you right. <laughs> but that was the beginning of my wine drinking. <laughs> So you you entered into the industry in the mid in the mid nineteen seventies when there really wasn't much of an industry. To oh, pick but, yes. The oh, answer okay. is yes. <laughs> By the way, a little a little a little side story. Sure. In about nineteen sixty, I think about nineteen sixty nine. I was teaching again at PCC, and I was at my office doing some office work, and in walks this person 
uh, wanting to sell books, wine, uh, math books mm -hmm. from Scott Forsman, and which was common for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, we got to talking and uh, as to what he was here for. Uh, well, it turned out to be that he was David Lett who started Irie. Mm -hmm. And he was selling books at the time at, uh, for Scott Forsman. Mm -hmm. And so I always thought that was kind of an interesting coincidence that, that uh, David Lett, and he told me, uh, we got into a conversation, because at that time we had the Filbert Orchard, and so we talked about being in the farm and on. And he said to me, he says, well, I'm up here from UC Davis, and it's my intention to start a winery. And so that was David Lett. That's a little vignette from that little interesting uh, passing. An amazing coincidence. Yeah, it was, right. <laughs> right. So tell me about the industry as you got into it. You, you, you're not a lot of people, obviously, just, just getting started. So what were the people like? What were the, what was the, what were the customers like? What were the winemakers like? Okay, well, uh, I think that's a, a very appropriate question. I love, uh, I love uh, intellectual, ethical people. Mm -hmm. and, and I put the emphasis on ethics. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I have many, that has truly been kind of the individuals that I have uh, come across with in my uh, uh, wine industry experiences. Mm -hmm. We had a we had a wine bar downtown in downtown Newburgh, which was called the Dark Horse. Our kids decided to give it that name. It's questionable how good that was, but we called it the Dark Horse. And uh, I own a building in downtown Newburgh, and it uh, we had that wine bar there for uh, probably ten years. Mm -hmm. And so quite often, uh, I, I, would, I never served the wine, but it, uh, I, almost daily, daily, I would be there simply to talk to the people who worked there. And I came across a, 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 a tremendous amount, a number of just extremely gentle, uh, uh, very congenial people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's kind of my feeling with regard to that question. And it felt like that continued as the industry was growing? Yes, yes. Yeah, the answer is yes. What about now as you look back? Does it, does it still feel like it's a, it's a small community kind of uh, industry? Or does it feel like it's gotten a, a bit bigger than that? Well, uh, I'd have to think a moment on that. I... Uh, uh, we used to have a lot of events here, by the way, mm -hmm. and they were great events. And uh, that's when Peter Rossback was here. Mm -hmm. Peter Rossback had a big draw because of, because of both his product and his uh, personality, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and but he's been gone about 10 years. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I don't have that much uh, connection with the wine industry today, mm -hmm. other than I meet with Dick Ponzi once in a while and Erath once in a while. Mm -hmm. And other than that, uh, there's not much going on in my, in my life with regard to the wine industry. Okay. I've got different, I'm going in other directions now. Sure. I'm soon, I'm going to be 90 next October. And uh, so it's about time for me to start making a three-point landing. And uh, so I'm trying to do some other things. Sure. You mentioned that your, we talked earlier about how your winery was the start for a lot of, a lot of brands using your space. Yes. Uh, and what about other people in the industry that you may have, uh, may have mentored or worked with uh, over the years? Anybody, anybody uh, special that comes to mind? Well, there's been some amateurs who uh, 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 would ask me questions and I've told them uh, uh, how to do various things mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of, one put in two acres and he still communicates with me mm -hmm. and all he has is two acres and he's always been so grateful for me to uh, uh, at least describe how he might start and of course what he did mm -hmm. was he just simply took uh, cuttings and I told him what to do and put them in the ground and uh, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, three acres of this property were the result of just simply taking cuttings from the property and putting them into the ground. And uh, we've, we've, we have uh, some very beautiful plants as a result of that procedure, mm -hmm. rather than root plantings. Sure, sure. Just cutting plant cuttings is all in. In fact, everything above the Everything above the uh, this area, those were all uh, just sticks. Sure. When people approach you for advice, what did you usually what did you usually tell them? What was like the first piece of advice or biggest piece of advice? Okay, now that probably is the be is probably the most uh, best directed question. My advice: create a lifestyle. That was my advice. And hopefully, make sure that it's affordable. <laughs> okay? Sure. And that truly is what I told, especially young people. You know, young people are attracted typically to older folks. And, and so anyway, uh, that, that's my advice right there. Sure. Of course, it was easy for me to say because economically, you see, we were very very uh, comfortable sure but it was lifestyle that we and lifestyle was always the intention right from day one if my beautiful wife was here she'd be nodding over there and uh, because that truly was our intention sure so you, you talk about not being quite as as connected to the industry now as you were but what do you do you see as do you see a future for Oregon wine? What do you see uh, something good or bad on the horizon, or, or hopes and dreams on the horizon? Well, okay, that, I'd say that's another interesting question. Hopefully, I can answer it. But it's not only the uh, it's not only the wine industry, mm -hmm. but it's 
to me, one of the greatest cultural evolutions, if you, hopefully you understand what I mean by that, how culture evolved, mm -hmm. was what I call the evolution of the economy. Mm -hmm. Now, why do I think of that as being one of the greatest? It's because it's one of the greatest ways for human beings to connect mm -hmm. because the economy basically creates a dependence on each other. Now, if I would give advice to the wine industry, it would be to create an industry where you promote ethics and good behavior mm -hmm. and still make a profit that you could share with that you can share with yourself and others mm -hmm. that would be the way i would express that but that goes beyond the wine industry. I would love, uh, that's, that's kind of my philosophy for any kind of economic involvement. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, so ask me more questions. Maybe I can talk, uh, maybe I'm thinking that I could learn something from this. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Um, I'm kind of running out of my questions here, but I can come up with something here. Well, so. you. Let's, okay. let's talk about let's talk about um, maybe favorite memories from uh, interacting with the wine industry. Uh, any particular uh, moments? You talked about events here at the at the at the vineyard. Any particular that stand out in your head? Uh, let's see. I uh, I don't know that there's been anything unusual, but we I've had some very beautiful beautiful happenings and uh, I don't remember them in particular but I've just I've been around a lot of nice decent people mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully they enjoyed the property the, the the people love to come to this property I can see why uh, and it's uh, we have a very beautiful view the uh, there's several advantages and I love people coming here simply to uh, enjoy the property mm -hmm. uh, my wife's rose garden we have we our rose garden has got 400 roses in it and it's right here and when the roses are in bloom people will come here and they'll love the roses and uh, and they also uh the lavender and i mentioned the lavender mm -hmm. we've never ever sold the lavender the lavender is for people to come here and walk through it enjoy it Enjoy the view of the of the valley, which is tremendous from the, the lavender. To f enjoy the fragrance and pick all the lavender they want, without uh, having any kind of uh, uh, a payment, nothing like that. And we encourage uh, uh, we encourage uh, uh, causes to come on the property and to pick the lavender and uh, any kind of monetary outcome would go towards the cause so we the lavender has never has never been 
The lavender was never put there for a commercial reason. Mm -hmm. The lavender was put there for a beauty. And a lot of people have told us how they love to see the lavender from, from, the, uh, from the valley. Because you, you're not familiar with it. Uh, you come back in July and you'll see it's a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful blue area. Five acres. It show, really shows up because of the color. Sure. And so, you know, so I think the question was, I love people coming here and enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. We talk about lifestyle. That seems to be a big part of what you're talking about is kind of giving to a community. That yeah, exactly. Be. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. So when you, when you came here, of course, uh, you were probably one of the first to plant in the area, and now you've seen some I growth. think I was the first on this side of the mountain. And now you've seen some growth around That you. is correct. So talk about kind of your neighbors and, and the growth, watching the growth of vineyards around you. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's great that, uh, that I'm, sure they, they, I'm sure that they could have been here long before without me being here, <laughs> but I'm sure that I was probably somewhat of, a, of an influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of people here to, to uh, we have 40 acres on the hill here. And of course, uh, we have, uh, we have, I have quite a few real estate people contact me thinking that, you know, <laughs> it's time for you to make a three-point landing, you may want to sell. And the last thing in the world this property will never be sold, and my children know that. Mm -hmm. uh, this will always be a legacy, and uh, I do. The last thing I want is this property to be cut up and put into homes. Mm -hmm. I want it to continue to be a uh, 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 to be what it is. We have five acres of timber up above us, and uh, that also will never be cut, and uh, that's part of the property also. Sure. Yeah. So as people have moved in around you, have they come to you for advice as well? Are those some of the people that we're talking about? Uh, no. No, not really? Not really, no. No. Yeah, no, the answer is no. Okay. I hate to say that. There must be a reason for them not wanting to ask me. <laughs> They're just admiring from afar, I'm sure. Oh, okay, yes. sure. Anything else from you guys? Okay. Those are all the questions we have. We, yeah. we appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about here? We have a... No, I think it's pretty much. Are you thinking that there's anything that I might add? I think, I think you covered everything I was okay, hoping you right. would. And uh, right. we really appreciate your time and your well, thoughts. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, we'll go ahead and end our taping here. And uh... thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews. Over